0: For this edition of China Talk, I'm going to read an essay I wrote on Sunday, November 27th, about the protests in China, and then append on the end two voice memos I was sent by journalists covering the protests. On Thursday, a fire in an Urumqi Xinjiang apartment complex killed at least 10. Many on social media suspected that COVID-0 restrictions, like iron-barred windows and roadblocks, inhibited evacuation and firefighters' access, contributing to an increase in casualties. The next day, largely Han protests in Urumqi, numbering in the thousands, gathered to express their outrage with the current policies. At least 79 new university campuses across China have seen protest actions, ranging from a sizable gathering at Tsinghua to graffiti on Beida's campus. Friday and Saturday, thousands gathered in the streets of Shanghai, Beijing, Wuhan and Chengdu, Guangzhou, as well as other cities, making various demands including the end to COVID-0, freedom of expression for the media, and even the fall of Xi Jinping and the CCP a professor at MIT, tweeted out the following tweet. Wu Yu, a Chinese writer, coined the term everyday democracy in her book about America. COVID zero imposes an, quote, everyday autocracy on China. It was not like this before. Now back to my writing. The protests seem to be a truly cross-class manifestation of anger with educated youth, as well as a handful of workers turning out across the country. The acute cause of this protest is frustration with COVID zero. The policy has both generalized and concentrated impacts. The Western media has done a decent job of capturing the general impacts of reduced economic growth and day-to-day headaches around mask wearing, testing, and travel restrictions. However, beyond these impacts, the policy has fallen disproportionately on the poor who need jobs to survive, those whose life savings have been lost due to family businesses destroyed by COVID, and the countless who've suffered through forced quarantines. Protesters have not limited their demands to COVID restrictions alone. Videos are circulating of chants demanding freedom of expression, freedom for Uyghurs, and even Xi's ouster. Beyond COVID-0, frustrations resulting from Xi's increasingly autocratic governance are manifesting. So what happens from here? In the short term, Xi has two decisions facing him. How to handle COVID zero, and just how severely to crack down on the street and online protests. The key unknown is just how much sustainable momentum there is behind the popular movement today, and how decisions around COVID policy and repression will impact public opinion and the intensity and scale of street protests. So, how hard will the state crack down? I would not underestimate the capacity of the Chinese security state to deal with medium or even large-scale domestic disturbances. For 30 years, the Chinese state has been aggressively investing in state capacity to respond to these sorts of eventualities. The system looked like it was caught flat-footed over the weekend, with online censorship completely failing to control the narrative, and policemen mostly standing by while protesters across the country demonstrated. However, I expect both online censorship and street-level government responses to be much more severe in the days to come. First, the online domain. In past rounds of recent public outrage, like during the Li and Leon saga in the early days of COVID, the censorship regime at first struggled to respond, particularly over weekends where many censors take off work, seems to have a longer lifespan. Over the past weekend, obviously sensitive WeChat articles racked up millions of views and stayed online for hours upon hours. People were even able to live stream protests on Douyin. There's a small chance that censors sympathetic to the pro process have been quiet quitting, but more likely this is just a function of incompetence, lack of attention, and layoffs that have been heavily impacting the consumer internet sector. I expect in the coming days this state of affairs to change. Additional escalatory steps, if regular heightened censorship doesn't quiet things down and disrupt future in-person actions, could include shutting down WeChat moments, deleting large WeChat groups that use any controversial language, shutting down Doban, and even going after GitHub. This seems to already be happening. Now, turning to street protests. Over the past few days, we've had a relatively lax attitude on the part of the police towards the protesters. I don't see a scenario where C tolerates continued street activity, particularly in key city centers like Beijing and Shanghai. Just in the past few hours, we got a glimpse of what mobilization would look like, with some heavy-duty anti-terrorism trucks apparently getting brought into Shanghai overnight. Escalatory moves the government will likely take include the use of tear gas in the event of larger or more unruly gatherings, an announcement of mandatory long prison sentences for protesters, and a freer hand disappearing protesters off the street, though this has already happened sporadically. It is in these police measures, not the online crackdowns, where the small but real risk for the government lies. Past protest movements, like those in Hong Kong, gained momentum after violent police action galvanized fence-sitters into joining in-person movements. Non-activist Han Chinese post-89, setting the Falun Gong aside, have by and large not been subject to the sharp end of autocracy. COVID zero measures have given people a strong taste. However, arbitrary, indefinite detention for hundreds if not thousands of use and the excessive use of force shared widely on social media may change this calculus for the masses. That said, it is unlikely that these protests metastasize into an ongoing concern, attracting upwards of tens of thousands or stretching out months. Hong Kongers had multiple rounds of protests in the 2010s to learn and organize before the summer and fall of 2019. Small actions like the 2018 JSEC factory unionization drive are a far cry from Occupy Central and the Umbrella movement. Hong Kong also benefited from secure communications on Signal and Telegram, as well as a police force that in the initial weeks was both too soft in cracking down and too undisciplined not to create viral moments of violence. Overall, how skillfully the government directly cracks down on street and online protests will likely have a decisive impact on the trajectory of the movement. There are, however, edge cases where Beijing either comes out aggressively in favor of COVID-0, inflaming tensions on the street, or announces an abrupt end to COVID-0. In the latter case, it's more likely that this will, in the near term, calm things down rather than embolden protesters to demand more concessions. However, if this announcement comes following weeks of increasingly intense street activity, then a COVID policy change could potentially embolden protesters. That said, I don't think she's the sort of leader who will want to look weak in the face of protests. Now, with her COVID zero. Chinese got their hopes up that after the party Congress, restrictions would ease. Despite some official movements towards easing, we've still seen strict enforcement persist in much of the country. This is the classic Tocqueville effect, where a gap in expectations on an already positive trajectory generates the most popular anger. However, what the protests mean for COVID-0 in the near term is really anyone's guess. Lifting COVID-0 would be a straightforward way to quickly make a billion people less pissed off and allow the systems to show that it's listening. But I wouldn't put it completely past Xi, who has stuck with a counterproductive policy for this long to keep it going just to prove a point. And people shouldn't forget that what comes after COVID-0 is exceedingly grim. A May 2020 paper in Nature estimated that ending COVID zero would, quote, result in exceeding critical care capacity with a projected intensive care unit peak demand of 15.6 times the existing capacity and ultimately cause 1.5 million excess deaths. Uncontrolled exponential spread of COVID in the coming months may already be baked in. Yesterday, China announced over 30,000 new cases spread across the country, numbers not seen since the Shanghai outbreak in April. Deeply aggressive lockdowns of this sort required to get the virus under control in that instance seem beyond the political peril today. If so, expect a breakdown of testing capacity in the quarantine system with hospitals completely overwhelmed. During and after this phase of rapid spread will come another major test for social stability. I doubt that in COVID zero's deadly aftermath, people will be particularly sympathetic to government claims that they're doing the best they can in trying to prevent deaths as they fail to find hospital seats for their dying relatives. One beat on elite politics. Huang Sheng said, It's it's premature to say that this is a 1989 moment. In 1989, top leadership was divided about student demonstrations, that split was a pre-existing condition. The thing to watch out for is whether a split may emerge, but that is a black box and we don't have a clue. Now back to my voice. I wholeheartedly agree with this point. Yes, there are some people high up in the party who aren't entirely on board with the implementation of Zero COVID. Recall that even Li Chang, the incoming premier, tried to chart a more moderate course in Shanghai before being forced to lock the city down. However, agreeing with COVID policy is a far, far cry from a Hu Yaobang or Zhao Ziyang. As Julian Gewertz explores in his fantastic new history of China's 1980s, there was a widespread movement for political reform in the 80s, pervasive in civil society, that had momentum even in the highest levels of the party. In the mid-1980s, even Deng was sending signals that he was on board with political reform. There is zero evidence for anything like that burbling up within today's leadership structure. Into the medium term, we are far more likely to see Xi's China trend toward a more militarized autocracy than use this moment as a reset point to pursue a more open and conciliatory posture. I'll close with some far too premature speculation on what these protests mean for China's relations with the world. Inevitably, the propaganda response will, will include assertions that the protests were part of a CIA plot with foreign black hands pulling the strings. It's important not to forget that some party leaders really do believe this stuff. For instance, see Desmond Shung's beat in his book Red Roulette about how Wang Qishan, a sophisticated technocrat with significant overseas experience and personal ties, loved a book that bought into anti-Semitic conspiracies about global finance. Now I'm quoting from Red Roulette. Wang shared some paranoid delusions peculiar to China's ruling elite. He was, for example, a huge fan of the 2007 bestseller Currency Wars, written by a financial pundit who claimed that international, particularly American financial markets were controlled by a clique of Jewish bankers who used currency manipulation to enrich themselves. Not that anyone in high circles in Chinese politics wasn't already convinced that the U.S. was trying to bring China down, but developments like this will only solidify these sorts of views. These protests will surely weaken Xi's hand regionally, as slowing growth and domestic troubles will, will call into question China as a model and economic partner. We've already seen Beijing reach out to the U.S. to try to cool down tensions, an effort which culminated in the recent Xi-Biden summit. Even before the protest, I didn't think serious U.S.-China cooperation was an offering. Though this prospect has gotten even slimmer, though given the economic and social troubles at home, I'd be surprised if she used this as a moment to escalate abroad. In certain edge cases where protests intensify, a violent crackdown would push some wavering countries in the EU to more aggressively break ties with the PRC. There's also a very outside chance that things get bad enough at home that she decides that a wag the dog style escalation over Taiwan is necessary to rally domestic support.
1: So a fire broke out in Yurmuchi, where residents had been locked down for over three months, I believe. And the deadly fire really triggered this tsunami of anger, um, especially since there has been hints that suggest COVID restrictions might have caused unnecessary delay in putting out the fire. But uh, voices of dissent against central government's COVID policy really started much earlier than the fire itself. Uh, If you remember, following the 20-point plan released earlier this month, aiming to fine-tune the zero-COVID policy, I think people in China generally expect a path back to normalcy. But as we saw, COVID cases surged dramatically across the country, which led to local officials to double down on some of the most draconian pandemic control measures. And overnight, uh, within 24 hours, we saw these draw-dropping video footages circulating on Chinese social media of massive protests across major cities in China, including Shanghai, Beijing, Nanjing, Chengdu, Wuhan, etc., etc. And uh, some young people even chanted um, democracy and rule of law, demanding freedom of expression and the ousting of Xi Jinping and the Communist Party. Um, Well, how do we make of this? First, I think I wanted to commend the extraordinary courage and solidarity shown by these ordinary Chinese citizens, especially the young generation. Um, second, I think the protests really point to the increasingly unsustainable nature of China's approach to COVID. Lots of people across Various social strata are frustrated, they're exhausted, and truly approaching the breaking point. What's less certain to me is the trajectory going from here. Um, the cynic in me wants to say, oh, this is all going to fizzle out. As we saw in previous protests, the local governments are probably going to use uh, the combination of carrot and stick to um, you know, make some concessions to quell people's anger Um, but also selectively um, punish a few of the high-profile protesters as scare tactics. Um, Will this be a watershed moment, a turning point in China's zero-COVID policy? At this point, I think it's still a low-probability event just because of Xi Jinping's um, inability or unwillingness to show weakness and the potential consequence for um, future uh, protesters. So the worst possible scenario I can think of in terms of government response is if these protests become more widespread and if people's demands go beyond COVID policy, if they demand political change, violent crackdowns and mass arrests might ensue um, as we saw in 1989 and in 2019 and 2020 during the Hong Kong protests.
2: My name is Chen I'm a writer slash journalist for a Chinese technology news outlet and I'm based in the US First off, let me start by saying that um, compared to all the various similar occasions in the past where I felt powerless, helpless, where I felt like no real change could be achieved I think these past couple of days have been very, very different So much so that I personally wanted to buy another plane ticket to go back to China as soon as possible Um, The background of my thinking is that uh, the fact that this is my last year as a Silicon Valley correspondent for my outlet so I originally planned to uh, return to China just before the Chinese uh, Lunar New Year um, however seeing all the protests first in Urumqi uh, then all the impromptu ones in Shanghai and then all across China I kept thinking of a particular scene in the BBC documentary about the June 4th movement uh, more than 30 years ago where a student was on his bike speeding on the road rushing towards a protest telling the interviewer that he felt like it is his duty to go join his comrades well I think that these people on the street right now those people chanting slogans, singing songs, these are my comrades, and I want to join them so much right now. As of this moment, um, I don't know what my specific demands are going to be. I assume neither do many on the streets of China right now. Is lifting the nationwide lockdowns going to be enough, or uh, is a regime change really due? <laughs> I don't know all that i'm very certain of is that people holding empty paper as their manifesto is a clear sign of them no longer wishing to be silenced to be suppressed from the tweets and um, videos online i saw and heard all kinds of slogans being shouted these couple of days sometimes they don't even make sense I think I remember a specific scene in a live stream in Shanghai uh, a day ago where um, an obviously heavily drunk man was doing all kinds of cringy things. He was calling the protesters stupid one second and asking them to stay safe the next, and he was oversharing his own difficulties with working and living under the lockdowns, etc., So, to me, it is very clear that people um, want to express themselves But in the past, they have been suppressed and silenced too much for too long To a point where many of them don't know how to express themselves anymore Um, Going back to the fire in Urumqi I think it's such a tragedy that people had to die like this to serve as a reckoning to all of the utterly inhumane and simply protocol-breaking lockdown measures On a positive note, we can see that some local governments, such as the one uh, in Beijing um, almost immediately began loosening up, making sure that hard barriers and locks on fire escapes both of which have resulted in tragic losses of lives across the country, are to be banned. But then again, I wonder if these new measures are going to cut it, in terms of satisfying the people and turning them away from staging and going to more protests. And if they aren't, we might soon be reaching the point where the regime abandons all good faith and we're probably back to June 4th soon again from my observation this current regime is rapidly depleting its toolbox so I fear more for what's coming thank you (laughs)